and a mouse keep running, running, and 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 running, running, Everybody and welcome to the uh, Marvel Comics Podcast, the Weird Science Marvel Comics Podcast, episode 249. That was just the Greta remix of the intro. As we go into uh, episode that's a day late, I apologize for that. We ended up having storms here in Pennsylvania, and we lost power yesterday uh, for most of Wednesday night, at least, when I usually pull things together and put the podcast out. It ended up screwing me over. I ended up uh, shoveling a lot of snow and realizing I am not in any sort of shape to be doing anything, especially shoveling snow. And I remember when I was a kid, I heard a story that like uh, 80% of heart attacks during the winter months are because of shoveling snow. And I'm like, yep, I'm about to add to that statistic. I really thought I was going to. Oh, my goodness. I am hurting right now. But. We are going to get into this here podcast, a bunch of books. I'm going to do a couple on my own and also be joined by Clay and Brandone, who probably would look at the amount of snow that we ended up getting. I think we ended up getting like 17 inches, something like that. I mean, that sounds like a a good night, right? Brandon probably would laugh at that. I think that in Buffalo, you get that amount of snow in like July. This is all wrong. You get that just there in July. But we're going to go into this. But before we do, let me tell you where you can find us probably in the nearest ER soon, or at least in track. I need to, you know, get somebody to work out the kinks here. My back is killing me. But hey, there you can find us on Twitter at WS Marvel Comics. You can go to our website, weirdsciencemarvelcomics.com. And then you can also go to our Patreon account, which is patreon.com slash weird science, where you'll get a plethora of other podcasts a bunch of marvel things thrown in there as well as dc indie manga podcasts cartoon movies pop culture it's all there oh my goodness a walking dead podcast a bad good books podcast oh geez there's so much there but if you go and check it out that'd be cool Uh, one of the big things that we do each and every week though is the patreon only marvel comics spotlight where you'll get about an hour long show Talking about two of the books that come out this week That are picked separate to be put on Only Patreon by the Badasses the Get Fresh crew Beep boop and ended up Doing a Jed McKay double Feature Black Cat number one And Taskmaster Number two so you can check that Out I believe it was about 50 minutes This one somewhere around there but that My memory is going uh, as Well as my fitness level but we're going to get into this, and I'm going to start out the podcast on my own, like De La Soul said, me, myself, and I, to talk about a book that I've really enjoyed that's going to be ending soon, Miss Marvel, magnificent Miss Marvel. But one of the things that I really, really like about this issue is it gives me something that I've been begging for out of the whole outlawed story, but in a way that the outlawed stuff doesn't necessarily overwhelm the book. It actually adds to it to actually give me a good style. I'm saying all this. I should just get into it probably, right? Should I? Yeah, we're going to do that. So I'm going to be right back with Magnificent Miss Marvel. And this is Magnificent Miss Marvel number 17, written by Salvina Med, 
Art by Minkyu Young Colors by Ian Herring Letters by VC Joe Caramagna when the champions engaged in a battle at Cole's Academic that had disastrous consequences, Kamala was among the injured. She soon became the face of the movement to banned underage superheroes, while her alter ego, Miss Marvel, became wanted by the authorities. Kamala's law went into effect, resulting in underage superheroes being declared illegal, with the government-sponsored Task Force Cradle enforcing the ban, a la Teen Civil War, is, is what it is. And it's not that interesting to me. Some may disagree, but we'll get into that in a second. Now Kamala is continuing to do good as Miss Marvel while also evading Cradle Task Force. He helped by or headed by Dum Dum Dugan, who was determined to apprehend her. But someone in Kamala's inner circle has just betrayed her and Cradle is on the hunt. Now I've had some problems. I've had a lot of problems with this whole outlaw deal and Cradle. You have the face, the, the only real human face, because seriously, in most of the books, in most of the situations, Cradle itself seems like a robotic army of stormtroopers that are just showing up to crack heads. It, it is so forced on the one side, the awful side, that you really don't get a nuance that makes anything in seem like a reality. And really, all this comes down to, and especially how we're going into this book, and how we do some things in the Miles book and things. First off, this outlawed nonsense has pretty much derailed a bunch of storylines that had to kind of be pushed aside or at least outlawed being shoved into them. It did give us the whole champion's book, but we could have had that anyway. And I don't need th- this is my whole thing. And I'm just going to I'm getting on my soapbox. Here. I do not need a bunch of robotic skull cracking he- head steel stormtroopers to show me that the teen heroes are good. I don't need that. I already know that. I already love the teen heroes. This is not something that I'm like, oh, man, these teen heroes have really sucked. And, and I don't like those books. But, boy, all of a sudden, seeing the real bad side of things, I realize that they're great. No, it, it's actually pulling it down for me because you really do end up getting a lot of, you know, surface level nonsense without having both sides clearly defined in a realistic way. There, there's good and bad people in this world, but in, in this whole story with this outlaw deal, there is only awful people and really good people. Now, this with Salina Med kind of tries to go into the idea of a little nuance. And, and by the end, it gives me something that I wanted since the beginning. Number one, showing me that Dum Dum Dugan does not belong as head of Cradle. There's no way he's too good a guy and he should know better. And just because he ends up realizing this issue, I I still hold him accountable for a lot of nonsense, right? I I do. But at least you get that. But also you end up with, you know, by the end we'll see Zoe was the one. And we kind of saw that before that did turn in Miss Marvel. But the way that these things kind of get shoved in Zoe just comes off as like really bad. Like this is her friend. Yeah, I understand she wants to keep people from being hurt, including Kamala herself, but you're not even getting that nice of a play with that. It's really not coming down to that. It's really not giving me what I want. So everything ends up being pretty, I say surface level a lot, but it's pretty surface level of a teen civil war but i like this issue now this issue is just going to go with that generic deal that i said where you're going to see miss marvel she's going to be helping people she did before she was doing it in in the flood she ended up helping people cradle comes to stop them and she's like i'm only doing good uh well this is that she's going after some missing kids 
and she ends up, you know, finding them after Dum Dum and Cradle attack her, chase her. Dum Dum is there with this electric suit that is able to take down Kamal a little. He says, I, I heard that your weakness is electricity. Here I am. I'm going to do this. I do think that this might be set up for the next couple issues until we end it because this book is ending uh, for him to actually help uh, Kamala against Storm Ranger, which I'd like because I actually like Dum Dum and Miss Marvel together here. As you see, Dum Dum actually finally realizing, you know what? These kids are only doing good. They only think of themselves. Now, if you are fully into the, and if anybody out there is like, yeah, I'm full cradle, hashtag team cradle. That wouldn't matter to you just because the teen heroes think for, about them, other people besides them. They're still hurting people. I mean, people are, but this is a, you know, kind of a trope to superheroes as it is. I mean, every superhero battle in almost any book, you can go and look between the, the panels and say, well, that building fell down. That's 10 people dead. And this, that, you know, so it's kind of that tropey deal that it, it gets tiresome. But you end up here, and the fourth deal is that. Kamala is trying to find, uh, you know, where these kids have been kidnapped, these disappearing kids, as you end up having Dum Dum and Cradle chasing her. And it's funny, too, because she uses her, you know, stretchy powers to just grab people from Cradle and put them on top of buildings. And it's really funny. And Dum Dum's yelling, don't put my guys on, on top of buildings. They go. But they end up at a building where all of a sudden Dum Dum and Kamala are attacked by zombies. And the zombies are controlled kids the kids that had gone missing and then out of nowhere the the camera angle expands and kamala's like oh my god rubicon like this is something that she why didn't she go to this building she's like oh yeah they have like this building that came up i'm like really you didn't look in because this is monopoly stuff and this is all pretty cool stuff from even the first volume with g willow wilson and when you end up hearing monopoly you really do think right away in my mind from reading it you think of discord you think of her her enemy josh and he's in this so i really like the way it ties into that first volume of stuff too where they go in to see because these are the kids that were disappeared they end up and you see at the beginning this guy's like oh i hope i get this job heads to rubicon and then kind of you get zipped and pulled in like a horror movie and then the zombies come out to kamala and dum dum and you do have the deal where dum dum i think opens his eyes a little bit right away by seeing that kamala is like, like, don't hurt these kids. They're not bad. They're being controlled. I kind of know what's going on. I need your help. Let's go in. And it's funny, too, because they bust into Rubicon. And Dum Dum says, well, at least Cradle won't be mad at me because if we broke down the door, we would need a search warrant. I'm like, Dum Dum, you, you got to look at the legality of these things. <laughs> That's not just the way. But who cares? And then Kamala uses it as a diss and says, oh, you're worried about, you know, these big evil corporations, but you don't care about rounding up kids and putting them into concentration camps is what they're doing or re-education camps. And so he's like, and, and again, that is, I, I know, I'm glad. And, and what I'm going to say here is, and it, it even goes later in Immortal Hulk, I like books that end up where you can still fill in the blanks, but you got a full story, but it's not forced. And the whole idea could have been Kamala saying, dumb, dumb. I mean, you saw the concentration camps in World War II, and you did. We know this, and you can kind of get that in your head. 
that things, you know, with that sort are never going to be good and that dum dum should know better. But it does go forward where they're going to find out where these zombies are trying to find Monopoly because that is the deal with Rubicon and this sort of mind control. And if you don't know the villain Monopoly, uh, Kamala does a decent enough job of telling dum dum, you know, the basics. And, and again, that is recap kind of like we're going to me and Clay will talk about in a little bit in the Fantastic Four deal that it's not forced like in the Fantastic Four. It's not like Kamala's just shown up and like, hey, dum dum, what are you up to? And dum dum, well, you know me. I did this, this. No, it's he doesn't know who it is. So she tells the basics. You get enough to go on. I like it. And then she just goes and runs into Josh Discord. And he is being controlled by an awful, awful Monopoly Kaiju freaking Cthulhu monster type deal going, I am management possibility. Like he is actually the one who was sent over here and he's kind of, you know, Monopoly's second in command, at least at this Jersey City location. And so you figure out if Kamala and Dum Dum can stop Discord Josh here. The rest will, you know, be okay. They'll they'll get rid of the mind control. But with that, it's not Kamala just going and saying, I'm going to kill you, Josh. H- how many times do I have to fight you? You're awful. She does kind of say, like, worried, like, hey, you're bad, you know. And, and again, that's a good thing to let us know that in the past, Josh slash Discord is not a good guy. He should be in jail. Monopoly got him out of jail to do what he's doing right here. But... He's being controlled, and as Kamala does just leap into this monster deal to go, she's trying to save him, even though it's one of her enemies. And Dum Dum, all this, he's seeing this, he's see- and seeing that you know it's it's more than just these kids going out and you know pulling pranks. I mean, this isn't like D Cell and Juggernaut, right? Just pulling the pranks. So he sees it, but you end up freeing Josh, and Josh actually has. A, a weird redemption by the end of this, and it's nice because this book is ending. And I I hate Josh, but t- the idea of redemption isn't, hey there, Josh, you know you helped us here, so you go. No, no, no. It's let me get you out of Monopoly's control here, and then Josh saying, you know what? I realize I'm bad. I need to go to jail. I need to go serve my sentence. Thank you for not attacking me. Thank you for treating me. Like a person and I'm going to now behave Like one and go off to jail and it's nice it, it again it's not like the Hollywood ending where everybody gets along And now they realize oh Josh maybe you were controlled All along you, you can do a lot of nonsense But he's going to go off and do that But the big thing in here with Us going forward especially with the Outlaw deal Dum Dum Realizes you know what I, I've Been wrong he's been watching This and says you Are Helping people I've seen this and and really I like the progression from Saladin Ahmed because every time we've seen Dum Dum pretty much go against Kamala It's right in the middle of her saving people it, It's not her just zipping Around or doing not it's her saving People and he even says that You know these missing people The flood the Arabian Nights monster The math's right there in front of me I've been so Focused on the job I didn't want it to Add up so you see that he's Had some conflict and this is that Nuanced little gray area that I've been wanting all along to see somebody realize, you know, I don't. And I was really worried that by the end of this, we were going to see that cradle just mind controlled. And, and that's why. And it would be this, you know, stupid way to explain this awfulness. But no, he says, I'm done. I am done. 
And one of the best things of it is you, you kind of get that cinematic movie moment where there's Kamala, there's Dum Dum. When they go into the Rubicon building, they pretty much say, let's go save these kids. That's priority number one. But when we're done, it's back. It's back to what we were doing. We're, we're enemies. I'm going to have to bring you in. You're going to have to try to get away, whatever. But let's just get this job done first. But at the end, he ends up doing the deal of like a movie where he calls up and he's like, yeah, yeah, this is dumb, dumb. Yeah, I just want to call on anybody spot Miss Marble. Okay, everybody head to the docks to let her get away, to let her, you know, go because he sees this and then says and it doesn't go to the point. This is where I think. This is where Sally Nemed really, really gets it. You don't have Dum Dum sitting there saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I did this. Oh, my goodness. What? No, no. He just explains and says, I realize the city needs Miss Marble. If the government wants someone to go after you, from now on, they'll have to find another flunky. He's just saying, I'm done. I'm out. And, you know, sayonara, sucker. And you have all that. And he, he goes a little further. And, again, you get some good things talking about the idea of – you know, the whole Kamala's law and all that, it's not going to get that deep, but says she thanks him. He says, don't thank me. Keep putting other people's lives first and says, but, you know, you're going to have to find a way to do it more careful. I mean, there's, you know, he says, I mean, really, freedoms come with. And she says, I know responsibilities. You sound like my dad. And he's, he's a wise man and all that and says. And one of the big things that's going on through this book that we've had at one point, but then was pulled back says does your father do your parents know what you're doing do your parents know you're miss marvel and she says no comment and that is something that has been through the whole deal they did at one point but it was taken away by space magic but it has been something that's been eating at her a bit throughout this whole deal and yeah ends up by the end where kamala says hey uh how'd you find me i just wanted to know at the how'd you how'd you get a hold of me you have satellites or something, you got trackers. And he's like, no, you know, sometimes you go with the basics. Sometimes you go back old school. We just got a tip. You know, we eat people. And she says, somebody sold me out. Somebody who knows who I am. There's only a short list. And she knows exactly, exactly who it is. And it's Zoe. And we're not going to play around here. We don't have enough issues to play around. She asks Zoe to meet her. And when they meet, she says, we haven't been talking. I'm sorry, all that. But why'd you sell me out? What? Why did you? You know, sell me out here. And she says, you you know, I snitched on Miss Marvel. And Kamala says, yeah, yeah. Well, what's up? And she says, Kamala, you're very brave. You're not afraid to face anything. But did you ever once think about the fact that you or that she puts other people in danger? And again, this is like a personal moment that is more hitting than just having three cradle operatives go into a deli and start hitting somebody over the head with a club. This is better. This is real. This feels right, especially in a book that deals with family and friends just as much as superheroing. So that's why I like it. And just the idea of them trying to figure out what they're going to do now and all that. While you're talking about the whole idea of troubles coming and things like that. And then you end with the cliffhanger that Storm Ranger is returning. So we'll have that. But that's a cool thing to happen. At the end of the series and we end up having celebrating 75 issues of Miss Marvel next. So that's pretty cool. I really like this book. I'm I'm kind of sad that it's ending. I understand it's because of sales that it, it doesn't sell well, but I'm one of the ones that actually buy this, even though I get the review copies. I really do like it. 
I love the character Miss Marvel. And again, I know that that puts me in crosshairs for certain awful people, but that's fine. I don't mind because I like the character. I actually have more fun with Miss Marvel than I have fear of people putting me in the crosshairs and saying that I'm awful because I like a character. So there. But uh, this issue, I'm going to give an eight. I can almost go to an eight five. Um, if you have been reading since G. Willow Wilson's deal and you have been down on the whole, you know, outlawed and wanted something a little more in touch with that, I think that you could put the score up, you know, further than that, maybe an eight five. I mean, some might even say nine. I'm going to go with an eight because of, I'm telling you just the idea that she's looking for <laughs> these kids and then. I mean, it's not even like, let's go look around town, and then they find a Rubicon building. Plus, it says Rubicon right on the building. They're standing right in front of it to just go, oh, my God, Rubicon. I know it's you, Monopoly. So, yeah, that was, that was forced. But still, it's a very positive eight. But I'm going to go off now to talk with Clay, and we're going to be talking about two books, Fantastic Four and Iron Man. May not be as, you know, as hyped up for those. Hey, everybody. I am here with Clay, as always. Hello, Clay. Hello. Hello. And me and you have two books. And usually uh, when I get the, you know, what's coming up this week, I look through the books. I'm like, okay, what are me and Clay going to love this week? And I ended up, you had talked to me about the whole deal with Iron Man. Me and you haven't talked about that together uh, yet. Brandon hates it. I, I get a little bit upset about it, but still, I know that you like it a little more than me is what I was <laughs> getting in my head. Like, I think I remember him saying that the, the last issue, like, so we're going to talk about that. Of course, we're all going to start with Fantastic Four. Um, but uh, I ended up messaging you after reading these and I said, you know what? I mean, we've had a couple weeks in a row where we have not really enjoyed, uh, you know, all the books that we talk about. These books are okay. You, yeah. you you told me that they weren't quite fantastic. Like, <laughs> now I, I, I want to hit the drum roll here. But we end up with talking with Fantastic Four and Iron Man is what we're going to do. And there is even a little segue, a little tie-in with a, a set of armor here that uh, when we get to it, I was kind of upset that it's not going to last. Uh, but we are starting with Fantastic Four number 27, written by Dan Slott. Art by R.B. Silva, Juan Ramirez, and Z. Carlos. Three pencilers, it seems, on this, which I'll give them credit. I like the look of this book. It's very, very colorful. The colors with Chris O'Halloran and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. And I did like the art in this. It kind of has like one of those feels like some fun's going to happen. I, I don't know why. It's like just there's not a ton, especially with the King and Black stuff going on, even over at DC with Endless Winter. There's not a lot of fun looking books uh going well, yeah, with, on uh, with with how up and down me and you have been on fantastic four since the beginning of this story i can always say that the fantastic four book has always been colorful and i think that's the one thing that i love about i love it. that i i actually really do love that so when i opened it up you know i'm not exactly a dan slot fanboy uh, that would have went down the tubes when he blocked me for no apparent reason when, when I just <laughs> talked to him. But still, um, going into this book, and I'll go through the recap in a second, it just made me smile. I actually opened it up, and it actually made me feel like, all right, and this is the first Marvel book that I'm really reading to go forward with this, with me and you talking. And, and it made me actually feel like, all right, maybe this will be a cool week, and I could get by through this because we didn't really like last issue of Fantastic Four. We like, it's like we're going to 
flip flop. It's like those Star Trek movies I hear people have watched. You flip flop between the numbers, but we're going to go with this. And overall, it was okay. Um, but I'm going to give you the, the recap. Fantastic Four and now the Guardians of the Forever Gate, a doorway to every point in space and time. Located on the grounds of the former Baxter building, team used the gate to bring the members of the Future Foundation back to Earth, including the Human Torch's ex-wife, the Skrull, Lysia. Or, or would you call it Lysia? A horde of aliens, I can't pronounce that, then charged through the portal and were at first mistaken for hostile invaders. However, it was soon revealed that they were actually fleeing the Fantastic Four's enemy, the Griever, at the end of all things, who was also making her way to Earth. I go with Laser Fist when I talk about Lysia, so I'm going to go with that. But you go into this, and there's a couple of things that it didn't shock me, but a couple of things that kind of threw me back is the idea that, you know, we're here forever gate. And I thought this was, and I hope it still might be something bigger, but I guess not. It's just there to bring Griever into the story again, to maybe tie that up or do something big with it. I, I actually wanted more of them going around, even though maybe people would say that's kind of what they were stuck doing uh, for a while before that. Um, but I do like the refugees coming and them trying to figure out what to do with it. And I'll give Dan Slot some credit here. You do end up having Hiram from Yancey Street come out and it's like, what the heck's going on? You aliens, this and that. And like, no, 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 these are refugees. And right away, he's like, boom, Yancey Street, that's what we're all about. So, you know, and it's not forced in a way that I thought was over the top. Uh, so I did like that. But me and you have a sticking point with this issue that I'll let you go into about how every character and every situation is introduced here. Yeah. So in the in the very beginning, I do want to say I, what I really enjoyed right off the bat is uh, how Invisible Woman is using her force field to mm-hmm. keep uh, pedestrians away from the aliens. They're all mad because they're, you know, we got the light. We got the New light. York City. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then uh, everybody's still so infatuated with Frank. Because, of course, he's the one that created them. And, you know, he's trying to explain, I'm not the person I used to be. I don't have my powers. And they're like, what are you talking about? And even to, like, kind of soothe her son from the overwhelming, you know, aliens just trying to mob him, basically. uh, She turns him invisible. And I think some alien was like, no powers. Look at that. He just turned invisible. Like he's got powers. He's got powers. Um, So I did kind of enjoy that. I would like to see where that kind of goes for, you know, the aliens in the future, because it kind of, there's still something there that we can talk about. And I agree. I, I agree. And just as an aside to that, what I like about it, we got really pissed last issue about the reveals. Franklin's not a mutant. His power mm-hmm. is gone. There. And I actually like how Dan Slott's doing this where, you know, and, and you would guess it'd be what they would do. But it's like Franklin's like, oh, what was me? It's like he's Charlie Browning down the street. His head down, <laughs> he's kicking the rock. Yeah. I guess I'm not part of the deal. And yes, it's generic. But the idea of, wait a second, Franklin, we're not a team. We're a family. You're not out of the family. And and they're yeah. trying. And just the dupe that they use in here that we'll get to it, which I actually, like I said, I want it more. Uh, but just the dupe shows me that they will be able to maybe figure out a way that he can still be. Because he's Franklin and he's cool. Yeah. Uh, and I like that. I like that they're not sticking with like in that road trip nonsense that we read. Like oh, he, he's not really just it's not him moping around here in this. He's actually, in my mind, sad 
because he wants to help the people that he created. I mean, he is their God, but he's a God. He has no power and he feels responsible. But it's not like I'm going to go and cry in my room and rip posters. That phase is done, it seems. And I like yeah. that. But you go on. Yeah. Yeah. So the the first hiccup that we have is the fact that there is recap upon recap upon recap upon recap this entire book. We first get it with uh sky you know with with her first i guess just thought of griever though she's like okay but y'all are the fantastic four i've seen you do amazing things this is just you know some random villain right and no johnny has to go through the entire spiel again and then immediately after immediately after on the same page you see val who if uh, uh, I forgot who the uh, Bentley. Bentley. If Bentley, Bentley. Had, if Bentley hadn't said Val, I thought this was uh Susan. So when he when he started to like kind of like share his feelings or whatever, I was like, hey, dude, she is married. Yeah, Come what are you doing? You're, and and, and you're right. Down. And really, we got to remember this by the end because I thought that as well. Especially there was a point where Val was yelling. And like and it was a real, it was a closer up shot. I'm like, oh, I sue there now. She was over there, so that is a little faux pas in the art. They they are drawing her a little older uh, than what we've seen, and that that is something that you get with Val and Franklin when you jump between books, even when you see them in different things that nobody can really get that whole deal. But the recap and and to just you know widen that a bit the recap you're we're not saying like it's recap like a narration box they were stuck in here or that no it's every character and this is dan slot trying i think to be natural with the recap because it's through conversation but it's not conversation anybody has you you don't go and say hey there bentley how are you doing you look good oh man but i didn't look good when i was last fighting the griever who ended up when me and you were together and that's how this is everybody is going through through it with this real, you know, I'm trying to say real bad, not bad dialogue deal, but really clunky dialogue. To Re- get really to clunky. Deal. And again, uh, a problem that we had with the uh, road trip uh, dialogue was that it was robotic. This feels a little robotic. Basically, half the issue is it is catching people up to what exactly for exactly and and even with the with like you were saying with val and bentley val was like okay well what's been going on when was the last time you did this or this or this uh weren't y'all supposed to be finding molecular man and they're like oh we did find a piece of him just one piece and you know and it was in blocks and it was a little hard to read but thankfully like we have already said the art really made this go fast. It was really nice to look at. Uh, I, I loved every single page. Um, but we do have this moment with uh, Dragon Man and uh, and Ben Grimm. Again, more <laughs> more uh, just just backlogging of like, okay, where have we been? What's been going on? And of course, we've known this again. We're just getting more and more and more of that. And that was all on one. Well, technically, if you were reading it in the review copies, but if you see it in the physical copy, this is going to be two spread pages. Here is a classic word bubble that we're talking about. You end up having Dragon Man saying to Ben, he's talking about, oh, should we have children around? Whatever. Ben's like, no, 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 they're, they're capable. And then he says, well, Benjamin. 
I've grown fond of young Bentley. Like myself, he too was the result of an experiment. Th- this isn't how people talk. You know, this is, it's just a, oh, oh, Bentley's an experiment. All right. It's just so weird. Like I want Ben to go. Yes, I, I know. I know this. And so let's go. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so then he's like, yes, I too have become a dad to Joe and Nikki more than anything. That's why I'm here. That a classic thing. I mean, really? I mean, I'm surprised he didn't. Uh, yeah, that's why I'm clobbering time here uh, because it's just over the top recap with the things. Now, when you get to this, Some of the characters, though, because you don't need to really recap with them because they're in recently, like Joe and Nikki, I like because they're there. They end up and everybody's at Nancy Street. I do, too. I thought that this was going to be something that I didn't enjoy as much. I thought it was forced in, especially because it was even at the beginning of the whole Empire deal. I love them. I love the idea that the two of them come together all the time to throw shade at everything the Fantastic Four does because they're (laughs) not made to be caring. They're not made to be, you know, things that they don't. They want to think militarily and really go with the stats. And I love it because you end up having all these aliens, the Yancey Street deal. And they're like, uh, you know, Alicia, uh, these people, these they eat a lot. Our food reserves will be gone. And then you end up having Joe's like, and what kind of security checks have we run? Any of these creatures could be. They go off on their own to kind of run their own security. And I thought that was hilarious. And I really wanted and to one see of, more. One of the biggest reasons why they want a security check is to still find. Um, Laser fist. Yeah. Yes. Elijah, because she has gone off. They can't find her. And she's a shapeshifter. And they're not 100% trusting of yeah. her. Which is so. good, It's a good twist by the end. Yeah. Actually, it, it is. It, yeah. it really is. And I did not know this, but. Uh, Mr. Fantastic has a plan. He wants to talk to Silver Surfer. And apparently, uh, freaking uh, Alicia, yeah, yeah, Alicia had had contact with Silver Surfer at one point, and uh, he left her this, uh, what did he call it? The Cosmicom helmet to communicate with him. And Reed wants to use it. They kind of fell in love a little when they first met. <laughs> and then Ben was pissed off at that when they ended up first meeting Galactus. So they are kind of connected there. So her having that helmet was pretty cool. And, and Reed going to use it to call Silver Surfer for a plan B. Now, you're, you're going to be coy with this. You're going to have Dan Slott like set up, you know, something. I mean, you don't call Silver Surfer on your cell phone here and just to ask how he's doing. This yeah. is end of days type call here as a Hail Mary, but it's plan B and you're coy with it. I mean, I know that you want to wait to show what this is. I think it'll also involve some twist and turn anyway, but Alicia hears what he asks and says, are you sure that you really want to do that? And he's like, yeah, it's plan B. We'll see. And you don't really learn what it is, but again, silver surfer, shows up and wants to give you a little talk about what he's been doing lately and, and narrate recap. the recap Love it. <laughs> again. When you call somebody, if you get a call from Reed using the helmet, it, shit has gone wrong. And I, I'm cursing a lot today, but the stuff has gone wrong here. 
I don't need Silver Surfer to give me a little update of what he's been doing lately. I mean, st- the crap has hit the fan here, buddy. And so he's like, oh, well, I've doubled back on the um, – okay. Well, like even even when you call somebody like in normal life, you're just like, hey, how you been? And they're like, ah, nothing much. <laughs> I've been doing this. <laughs> and it's, it's not like, oh, by the way, let me give you a breakdown of what I've been doing for the past few months. This would, like, it, you're making me laugh now because all I can think of is this is the, this is the worst person to call. Because you're calling with a prop, like I'm going to call you, Clay. I'm like, oh my god, I'm at my wits, and I I need to call Clay. I don't really because it's not like Reed calls Silver Surfer all the time, right? So I'm out of the blue. I'm going to call you. I'm like, Clay, I got some big problems. And you're like, well, actually, I've been vacationing <laughs> lately. And last week I did this. I'm like, you jerk. I just hang up on you. I need your help. I don't need your recap. I don't need it. It's all about, it's all about Silver Surfer. He is such, he's such a jerk. Uh, but yeah, he basically read, hey, if I need you, you know, can you do this, that, and the other thing? And I'll get back to you. If that's the case. Now, it seems as if that was like by the end, I'm like, really? We had that set up with Silver Surfer. And it seems like this whole thing's taken care of. And by the end, I'll, I'll admit that I was kind of mad that I thought this Forever Gate was just to, and with the recap, just to tie up loose ends again to make sure that everybody knows kind of what went. And now it's just closed up. Boom, it's done. Uh, but it, it ends up being something more than that. But yeah, all the characters standing around, but they do end up helping out uh, Franklin. You have Reed and Sue as Sue is talking. And I like that. I like them sitting down, you know, mother to son and and she is caring. Um, But they end up giving the fantastic four Iron Man suit that you ended up having Reed had in Empire and gives it to him. And I thought that was a really cool deal. I like the look. I actually love the look of the suit with the blue and the four in the middle. Uh, And I thought, okay, this would be good as they explore you know what's going on with the whole power thing and all that, but it's kind of a dupe as well uh, because then we end up getting Griever shows up and there is a spy in the midst. Somebody, one of the aliens has signaled to Griever, hey, you know, you can come through. What's weird about this is the idea that, hey, uh, Griever, yeah, you know, you, you can beat anybody and you're the end of everything, but yeah, now you can come because, yeah, it's confirmed that that he has no powers, Franklin. It seems like she didn't need that. Like, she was going to come anyway, and she just talks crap all the time anyway that she's so powerful, which she kind of is. Um, but she comes in, and again, you, you get some recap. You end up getting a lot of mention. I mean, you dance a lot. Does he want to make sure that we realize she is an abstract being? Oh, my Because that God. is repeated over and over. And if you I am had- the embodiment of entropy. I am a thought. I am the construct of this and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, we get it. Yeah, we, we get, get it. it. We get it. You're there. Like, it's almost like she thinks that nobody believes her or she's, you know, a little bit nervous that she might, like, she's really got, but she did this before. I, I think that what we're getting here too is Dan Slott realizing, you know, maybe people didn't read that. Maybe they're jumping on with that 25, but it's too much. It's, it's way too much. She just keeps, I'm an abstract being. Oh, hey, I'm going to do this. You don't understand. You're trying to defeat me like I'm not an abstract. I mean, it just keeps going on. And she also looks exactly like Perpetua, which I said the first time when she was around and it made me laugh and kind of goes with uh, kind of the MO as well. They could get together and team up. But yeah, all 
hell is breaking loose here. You have her just going through and just destroying stuff. And she can. She is an abstract being. I don't know if you know that. But she's now pissed. She's going to take Franklin. She's going to do all this. And Franklin shows up in a suit and kind of dupes her. And and even then, you end up having Reed have a new antimatter field. That was cool. I mean, I like the look. It doesn't last long. You end up with uh, the solid globe force bubbles by Sue. Okay, that was okay. It was kind of cool. Didn't do much uh, to only have, you know, Franklin just show up in this Iron Man suit and play, you know, catch me if you can. As she he goes into the Yancey Street house that they have for the Fantastic Four headquarters. But you take it from here because we're almost done. Yeah. You know, uh, like you said, he he's playing this big catch me if you can. Um and the really big twist was that he was never in the suit to begin with. And uh, they do play one small joke. I think it was uh, Alicia that was like, oh, Franklin, you got your first Richards yell. Like that made me smile. It, it's it's a really big trope for for uh, for any hero. And especially with with the Fantastic Four, I felt it uh, it was very appropriate. I really enjoyed it. And. Here we find uh, Elijah is actually disguised as this alien that was probably helping the Fantastic Four the entire time. Found the, uh, the guy who the, the, the spy. Yep, found yeah. the spy. So it's a good reveal. Again, though, it's a little late in the game for the spy. I mean, really? You, you, because what they do is they end up folding all the realities from the house. Because Reed has done this throughout the whole series. Yeah, the, the, entire, the entire apartment uh, uh, for Yancey Street is completely in this small little origami piece of paper now. And everything seems to be fine until you flip the page. And again, Griever just comes out saying... I am a concept. I am a diet. Like just, okay, we get it. We get it. You don't have to say it again. I would have loved it. If Ben Grimm would have like thrown a building at her and said, (laughs) we get it. We get it. And now the, the thing that's kind of a cool deal. Now this may or may not happen, whatever, but you have the smartest minds. Some of them Val. you have, you know, Reed, even Bentley, all them going. And the idea of an abstract villain kind of goes with me. Like this is going to be some sort of mathematical solution to some weird, like you're going to have to think abstract, like not that they haven't done this yet. Blows my mind though. You would, Yes, that Franklin has to be the one to come up with the solution. Now we do have that Hail Mary. We'll see what that might be with Silver Surfer. But I really think that what I would like going forward, because Val's the smart one, Franklin, God powers, but I'd like to see him be able to think like they're thinking maybe too mad. Maybe that's the thing. They're thinking, thinking too scientifically and he'll be able to figure something out. I'd like that. But the thing is where... You know, you have some recap that does work out because at the beginning, if people had jumped on at 25, which maybe some have, the idea that that Hiram, when he's going and talking to Reed, where are you going to put all these aliens? I know that you made all these dimensions in that house, which is wacky. That was a little clunky itself, but it worked out in the issue. So I didn't mind that. That was said at the beginning, and then you'd go, okay, that was foreshadowed in the beginning. But a lot of this is not foreshadowed. It's just over-repeating and just explaining things as a recap. So I did like that. I like the Franklin part, uh, the Richards part, I mean. Uh, that made me laugh. Um, but yeah, overall... 
you didn't really do much in this issue except recap. So when we go forward, I didn't hate this issue. I like some of the stuff. I like seeing the characters working together and more than just the, you know, the typical ones, especially with the foundation back. But I need more going forward. I can't keep going through these issues of, hey, look at me. I'm this and I did that. And I did. I, I need a new ongoing story not just recap of an old one especially when you have griever who started this whole thing out uh so hopefully that ends up being the case but what would you give this i would give this i you know the the recap was really getting on my nerves so i was like oh man if dan Slut keeps doing this the entire issue it's gonna be a low score but i couldn't help but just smile at the art um, I really enjoyed the progression with Franklin uh, being able to be quote unquote part of the team, even though he always was. Um, I would give this, I'll give this a seven, five. I'll be a little bit positive. Okay, I'll give I'm it a actually five. a little lower than you. I actually thought that I was going to be the positive one with a seven and it's because that recap, I mean, it's, See, I would have been, like a, I would have been a little bit more positive than you anyway. I was going to put it at a seven, two, okay. I, I wanted to go a little bit positive. <laughs> I, uh, like I said, seven, six, I always like to be Mr. Positive, <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm at a seven. And we did mention that, that little faux pas with uh, Val looking exactly like Sue that threw me off a bit, but overall mm-hmm. I, I ended up reading it and I thought, okay, I'm down. I can go forward with this, but I need the story to start hitting. I, I want more of let's tell the story in the now, not tell the story through the lens of, hey, we did this before and we did that before and we did this. Hey, we're like each other because of before all oh, that. I need them now. And I need Dan Slott to just put that aside. You made the joke before we started that it's almost like Dan Slott's recapping for himself because yeah. he can't remember <laughs> what he did. And, and that might be the case. I mean, he's all over the place. So that that might be the case anyway. But yeah, I need something because I think there are some decent you know ideas of stories here i i think that he may actually have a, a story with griever coming back with all of it coming together with the idea that franklin doesn't have powers though now i'm thinking also it's like you got rid of the mutant thing out of it has to just be like okay because we don't want any way for the mutants to have to get involved and even that's the other thing reed says well who could we you know do and everybody but i think that it could be something pretty decent going forward. So I'm looking forward to it. So yeah, seven out of 10, not as, you know, positive as Mr. Positive you over there, but Hey, I, I usually am not. So there you go. But we're going to go to the next book as I'm trying to uh, delay this, as I'm trying to load it up. It's not loading up for me. It's Iron Man. It's Iron Man number four. And I'm really going to lean on you for a lot of this. I know I always say that and then butt in, but I'm not. Because this is more of a book that I think you enjoy maybe a little more than me. Uh, you're Are you a Christopher Cantwell fan overall? Well, he, the thing was, whenever I grabbed this book to review on the website, I was not familiar with Cantwell at all. Um, I was told that he wrote a decent and, you know, some would say decent, some would say amazing uh, Doctor Doom story. So I was like, okay, well, let's see how it is. And from the first issue, even until the very last issue uh, that just recently came out, like it's very we we would talk about it a little bit as Christopher Cantwell is trying to do the tropey Tom King type writing. I think that's a lot how a lot of people a lot of people would, say that. would say it. And it just wasn't clicking with me. Uh, the first three issues were very low rated for me. And 
it started to get a little better and a little better. This one is a little better, but it's not really the Iron Man story that I want to be reading, you know? Yeah, I'm with you. And that's why I, I you could I'm desperate to have somebody <laughs> show me why people love it. And they more of the Doctor Doom. That that's the big thing. That was Eisner Award nominated. It didn't win, but it was nominated for an Eisner. And the whole deal with Christopher Kentwell, it does seem like it is the trajectory of Tom King that we went through over at DC, where people just think that everything he does is so mind blowing. And and the problem I have is, and maybe maybe we're not giving him enough credit with the whole saying he's the Tom King deal, but this idea of the the man behind the armor or the the woman behind the mask, all these things with the deconstructing of characters is what it seems like we've passed that. That seems to me, and it might just be me, but that's like, that's 2017. I, I need something more than that. And, and I just, I can't get myself to get into this Iron Man book. I read the Dr. Doom book up to issue four, and even that ended up making me like, eh, it's just not for me. And and when you read and review, and anybody out there review or reading stuff, every book isn't for you. You know, there are things that people don't like, do like, and this just, I realize this is good, but it's just not my thing as I go through, especially this issue. There's parts where I'm like, this is really well written. It's just not that exciting for me and i i just i don't know if i want to sit there in the the long run of just a tony that you know he gave away his money even though you don't really play much with that lately uh and just having this idea of the man uh hanging around with hellcat but we'll end up going through this like i said it's iron man number four written by christopher cantwell or by kafu colors by frank diomarta and letters by vcs joe caramagna along with hellcat tony traveled to oklahoma to inspect his new investment an endeavor to use captured lightning as an energy source however the man behind the experiment fuller talhard revealed himself to be the cosmic force known as korvac recently reborn in a new android body tony and hellcat battled a trio of old foes gathered by korvac but were ultimately knocked out by his immense electrical power and so we go into this and where i realized that I'm not the biggest fan of something is when I have no idea when the book starts of where we left off. And I'm sitting there, especially the way this starts off, even I'm like, what the hell happened last issue? And, oh, yeah. they start, <laughs> Oh, Oklahoma. Yeah. OK. And where did they go from there? And you have here because he's there with Patsy and all that stuff going on. But Rhodey's missing. James Rhodes is missing and they end up having, you know, the news. Hey, do you know where James Rhodes is? Do you know where Rhodes? And he's like, no comment. No kind. You know, he's going through and he realizes that Korvac has, you know, captured him. He's keeping him uh, kidnapped so that Tony comes out of his deal and, and is exposed and all that, even though by the end, it doesn't seem like that's really that necessary. And it's more of something else going on. But you end up going through and I, I like the dialogue between Tony and Petsy, but it's like, it's not getting me. It's just the idea of, hey, Tony, you always think that you don't want to blame yourself. You're worried about what people say. Oh, this. And then all of a sudden, Patsy turns. You're like, oh, my God. You got, she's like, I have fractal burn on my face. I'm like, oh, my God, look at you. And that is more of like the in your face so you know there there would be a connection with her and Korvac as you go. But you go from here because, like I said, it gets very – it's very wordy. It's very much people just talking to each other. 
the dialogue's good. It just doesn't get me. And then it gets very religious at one point, and then I'm kind of like, oh, yeah. Right. You know, this whole thing in the very beginning with uh, Tony and Patsy, you know, the big thing that uh, Cantwell is wanting to relay to the readers is that Tony has a almost inhuman disconnect with people, with uh, feelings, with all of these other things. And the problem is that he may have been like that early on. We've seen that he went through a whole big thing, you know, early Iron Man, like when he was first created was that he was an alcoholic. There's a lot of things that happened to him and he just didn't care through this 75, 80 years of Iron Man. We have seen that he's grown to be a more decent human being. Yeah. He may be a jerk, but he's not like completely robotic like people think he is and we're even coming off the idea of him am i an ai all that stuff for when but we're not even really focusing on that here you know exactly you you get a couple weird mentions earlier but this is more like you said this is the man and it does throw but you keep going because it does throw me off as well especially in like daredevil recently where matt when he had to do something desperate called tony and said hey we're not really friends but can you buy up hell's kitchen because i need to help people and tony did it tony's like i'm gonna lose billions and he's like yeah i know okay i'll do it and because people because you know he is a nice guy uh yeah and and you get that and and i want to you have that inhuman uh disconnect with humanity would be a cool little catchphrase that you came up with but you go on but it's it's just very weird how cantwell is trying to portray tony in this and even so like you you we kind of got like not last issue maybe it was last issue actually with the whole plane ride thing mm-hmm, yeah, we, it was last. we almost got this whole notion of like oh tony needs to get woke mm-hmm. with society and the, he can't well just went way into left field and now has brought this character patsy who was supposed to be the strong side of tony and now has made her the stereotypical oh i'm going to fall in love with tony yeah. That, that threw uh, me off completely. That was out of nowhere. I didn't like that at all. Uh, but the one thing that I didn't like more is not knowing how the hell Rhodey got captured. Like, I felt like we missed an entire issue from the last issue to this one. Korvac, I, I feel like we're not getting a whole lot from Korvac other than this very, like, almost cult leader-esque vibe off of him um and honestly just because i haven't been getting much from this series at all like we know that he is an android body the dude looks like a blonde tony stark yeah he does he just looks just like tony stark with with a weird facial. i don't know if that's on on purpose but it's just it it weirds me out when thinking about this and you know he has this vendetta And he's, you know, this weird experiment power thing. We're not exactly sure exactly what he's trying to do. But we move back to Tony and Patsy after, you know, they they got a little bit more, you know, physical. (laughs) But (laughs) uh, and Tony completely switches his whole stance on everything. 
Like all, all he needed was he just needs sweet lemon. That's what he did. Yeah. With somebody with fractal burns on the side. And I actually, and, and a point, I'm like, are we supposed to think that Tony's being not, like this is Christopher Cantwell's idea? Where I'm going to show that Tony's nice because she has that horrific scarring on her face, and he's going to make a love. I'm like, I don't think that's what's going on here. But I, it it ends up like, well, that just happened. Well, why did that happen? That whole deal, and I'm like, I, I don't know. It's like she is did that maybe knowing like, okay, I got to get him on his guy. I don't know. Because then all of a sudden she ends up being able to sense Corvac because of this burning. It seems to have implanted his, you know, deal on her. And like you said, it is like a cult deal. You get religious symbolism and even just outright religious quoting while they're in a church, like all that. But even the idea that he's going to set himself up to pretty much energize with the whole New York grid. And it's it's a crucifix. I'm like, okay, whatever. And he wants to get onto Galactus' ship. ship. Yep. He wants to get Galactus' ship there and get onto it. But even then, as a dummy that I am. I'm just sitting there like, okay, like really like this is the the be all end all there. And why do you have roadie? Why do you have this? And why do you need Tony? Like we're going to, I guess, find out all these things, but he just ends up, you know, electrocuting himself pretty much to energize him up and get things going. And, you know, then you end up having Patsy and Tony trying to figure out how they're going to end up going against this. And it's again, it's almost like the the idea here is Tony, we gotta get him to the, you know, the lower level of superheroes. He he's gotta learn that there's some ground level people and all, and they're going real deep where Patsy has a list. But then they go back to the fast and furious guy, who I completely forgot about, the guy with sign language. Yeah. And uh to be able to like, hey, can you find these people for us? And even that, like, is this then Tony makes sweet love. Oh my God, I, I'm a human again. I, I, uh, but then as they're driving off to talk to Fast and the Furious here, with he's deaf, he's sign language, and he's like, "I'm not going to take any time to learn sign language." Like I'm like, "You're back to being a jerk." <laughs> I guess that that's the not well. Like, why would I do that? I could use my translator, and he's basically just looking at the sign language to his phone, which is kind of a, a funny thing to me, but. I don't know why. Why don't you just have him no sign language? It's Tony Stark. The guy has dealt with well, so many even, people. Even so, like he he has been Avengers with freaking Hawkeye, who is you know really big with knowing sign language because he's partially deaf. And I would think, hey, maybe it would be useful to know sign language. Yeah, you know, yeah. just to, just to do. And like I said, Tony Stark also deals with a lot of you know business deals and things like that. And it might have. Just popped up at some point, but no, yes, yeah, so he has an app and he goes to talk to this guy. But while this is going and you end up having Korvac end up energizing, I'm forever. He's going to go. The, the problem is I'm not real familiar with Korvac. And with that, I don't really get like full on board with, oh, my God, he's 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 charged up. I It's it's not hitting well with me, especially like you said, we're only seeing him walk around, be like a cult leader and and look like Tony. So. That he goes to Fast and the Furious says, "Hey, I want to get this list." But when you end up having Corvac energize, you end up having Patsy as well. So everybody that has been affected by Corvac, he ends up going. And she's like talking through Patsy. You know, don't try to stop me, Stark. All things are going bad, and you end up seeing that Fast and the Furious, the sign language guy, he is a mutant. 
with probably one of the worst mutant abilities I've ever heard of in my life. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand why this is so like like so he he grabs a hubcap. So he grabs a hubcap and he hits a fire hydrant. Yeah. It blasts water, knocks Patsy unconscious. Yeah. And Tony says, "How did?" And he says, "Oh, long story. I'm a mutant. Weird power. My heart rate doesn't go over eight, uh, 70 beats per minute. What does that have anything to do? Uh, that Nothing, because this is the thing. Number one, just as an aside, uh, we actually have, you know, the, my wife has an issue with oxygen levels. It's been something that she's had all her life. So we end up having one of those things that you put on your finger and you can get your oxygen level in beats per minute, right? I, I know that mine would change, but mine is about 70 beats per minute. And so the idea that I'm looking, I'm like, really, am I a mutant now? Here's the thing. (laughs) The idea that his beats per minute never goes over 70 does not mean that he doesn't get a flight or fight response. This would actually. So it's trying to pull the part where I don't get nervous. I don't get scared. That wouldn't be the case. You'd get scared. You'd just maintain 70 beats per minute when you do it. So it's just it's it's weird. would it mean that 70 beats per minute gives him super strength? I, I, no, I think that what he's saying, because here's the thing. This is what I 100% think. Everybody is freaking out. You know, we didn't even say Patsy ends up talking Corvac through her and then lightning blasts the cars. The Fast and the Furious shut down. I mean, cars are blowing up and you end up seeing him just standing there. And everybody's running. He's just standing there. Oh, well, I'm going to grab this hubcap. I'm going to go over. Let me think. Okay, I'm not freaking out so I can think clearly. Basically, it's a, a mutant power that doesn't make you – you don't freak out. That's all – and doesn't make sense. Like I said, just because your, be- your beats per minute aren't what is the point of being scared or whatever. It's such a weird roundabout deal because then he goes over. He hits the thing, and it's course He's like, oh, I, I don't go over so many beats per minute. I'm like, I, what is this going to be? And then, and then Tony thinks, oh, 70 beats per minute. Put yourself on that list that I need. I mean, like, this what? is like, yeah, you know, like you're expecting to say, oh, by the way, I, I'm a mutant and I can freeze time, think a plan through and then do it. But you wouldn't know that. Like, OK, then put your own. Hey, uh, 70 beats per minute. This other guy comes over. and It's like, hey, I'm a mutant, too. I have really good cholesterol. They're like, you're on the list, buddy. And like, hey, my I don't get hypertension. You're on it. I mean, what what is this? I can eat all the salty foods I want. It's so ridiculous. It's not a good power. It's so stupid. Uh, but that made me laugh. That made me laugh. I, I guess I think that basically what we're getting here is the Christopher Cantwell is going to show us. It makes me laugh. I'm telling you, I'm looking at him saying that, and Tony's like, you're on the list. Really? Tony, get a better list. But the the whole idea of this, please, is that – You end up having a mutant power that really is ridiculous. I think he's playing on that as well. But they're going to, you know, Tony's facing a god. Korvac is coming back. He's a god. He might even be on Galactus' ship. This makes it even up. And Tony, who's a pompous ass, who usually gets to throw money at stuff, but also act like he's a god himself in armor, he is going to have to pull it back. And the way that Korvac, a god, will be defeated is through the most common, ordinary superheroes you've ever met. Mr. Beats Per Minute over here is going to be one of the ways that we will, and that will end up 
showing Tony, you know what? I'm always thinking too big about myself, about such. And really, there's a lot of people around that do a lot of good things. I got to open up my heart to them and get woke. That's what I think. And I'd call them beats per minute. That's all I call. (laughs) It sounds pretty obvious. Like, I feel like that's going to be the thing also. But it's like I said, this is not exactly the story that I want to Just think of if I had a power and I change it up just slightly and and I can fight real fast and I call myself 70 beats per minute at like I'm beating people up. Now you're talking. Not the idea of, wait wait a minute, everybody. God's attacking. Let me check my post. 70. There you go. How would they ever, you know? Oh, no, I got 71, Jim. (laughs) The best would be is that, you know, maybe some big thing will come up that he needs 60. And he's like, I'm I'm screwed. I'm only 70. I I don't know. It's just such an odd power. Before, there are a lot of lists of mutants with like the most unnecessary, ridiculous powers. Beats per minute. He's on there now. I'm putting him on because that is just, again, just trying to show that he stays calm under immense stress. You see what, when the car is being destroyed by the lightning and Tony's jumping away and he's got, he's standing there and, and the way the art does, it's supposed to, he's got his hands in his pockets, like yeah, eh, beats per minute. <laughs> I don't get scared, but you still would get scared. That's not uh, it. One is not the cause of the other. It's the reverse. So just that you're still uh, like, yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. <laughs> uh, but overall, like I said, I think that the art in general is really good. It has the style. Uh, it's its own type of style. Very dark. We talked about the whole Fantastic Four being a bright book. This is a very dark book. Um, but I, I like the dialogue. I just some of the times I don't like what it's saying, but it's well written. I think yeah. that most of the characters have you know enough of a, a unique voice though when you start getting heavy with it it starts to kind of blend together i guess but you know the whole deal it's just kind of not for me it's a slow burn it's the deconstruction of tony stark uh and you said he's been around for so long so maybe you need something but we, we've done this and, and i thought he progressed past it to just have christopher cantwell come in Again, like a Tom King, and just as an aside, Tom King's big thing, I'm going to show that Batman is is the man behind the cow, and I'll make him miserable and brooding. And that's what we always get. You're just trying to skew it a little one way to make it impressive. You and- know, that's exactly what I was going to say. You know, we've had so many people try the Iron Man that is, who is the man without the armor? And that's clearly not what people want. People want the armor. People want the fun. People want the snark, you know? Yeah, and that's what I want. And I I said, I said it to a bunch of people. I'm just hoping that the next phase of comics is having fun because I think that everybody's trying to be too fancy. You you get Christopher Cantwell in my mind, and even like an Al Ewing and Immortal Hulk, which I do like enough but everybody wants to have that deal where they can impress people at dinner parties and then when they go oh you write comics oh well let me tell you comics have matured over the years like nobody just wants to be like hey yeah i write comics it's fun i have a big kick out of it make people smile that's all i need i don't need these you know things where i i get done and i sit there and think about life and and the meaning of the universe because of some comic book i'm more but some people like that 
Some people have read comics way longer than me, like Eric Shea, almost all his life, he says. And they're already past the, yeah, I'm done with the having fun all the time. But I'm still in the fun phase. I don't think I'll ever leave that. So some of these things are just leaving me behind. But what would you give it? Or what did you give it, Clay? I I have I haven't this yet. I, I haven't reviewed it. I okay. just realized these are the two books that I need to review yeah. tonight. That's <laughs> why I picked them. That's why I'm like, I'm gonna give them a head start. Here we go. Um this I would actually just because I have been down on it, um, you know, I've never been down on the art. The art has always looked great. Um, I think one of the first things that I saw about uh Iron Man was Oh, just another generic, boring book with great art. And unfortunately, that's kind of the truth. Uh, I I would give this the most positive 6.5 that that's I can. That's what I'm at. I was just going to say, you can give us 6.5. I can hear it. Uh, yeah, that's where I am. And it is. It's, it's a... It's a six five that could go up if I get more of, you know, an overall story and not just the idea of let's just keep pounding in the fact of Tony and that he's, you know, he's aloof. He's doing this even at the part with Patsy. You know, you keep getting that you're you always blame yourself. You always think that you're and, and just, you know, and that's because you think that you're worried about what people want, even to the point where she kind of says that he's going to cover up things like giving Korvac the money that ends up doing this. Like you're, you're going to cover that. And it's just not what I want from Iron Man, especially in this fresh start, fresh start, you know, going from there that I haven't really liked Iron Man throughout. So I, I need something to, you know, enjoy, but I'm six, five, but it, like you said, it's more of a positive side of that, but it can swing down. It really can. But that's that. That's me and you. You, you get to review these now. And, and now you'll have the issue, which drives me nuts all the time, because now you'll, you know, hunker down with the books and you might <laughs> find something that me and you did not talk about or you never thought of. And now you're like, huh, I gave it a six, five on the podcast, but I really <laughs> think it's a six now. And then you have that conundrum. I'm telling you, it drives me nuts. Also, I want to tell Christopher Cantwell, the Philadelphia Phillies aren't the worst team in baseball. Please. He ends up throwing shade. I, I'm going through this. He's like, oh, this list couldn't even beat the Phillies. Really? Y- you're you're usually in New York City and all these, right? Just say the New York Jets. Throw football in there and have somebody that's really bad. And it's just an aside. A little Philly. <laughs> a little Philly anger there. But, yeah, so you can go off. But, yeah, uh, we like these enough, though. At least we weren't screaming that much about things like we were last week. So that's that. But, Clay, before we go, as we always do, tell us where we can find you. Yeah, of course, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Fanboy Clay. Uh, same thing for Instagram, same thing for TikTok. But easiest thing you can do, go to my Twitter. I do have a link tree where you can find me at the Fanboy Comics Podcast, the Comic Book Legion Podcast, the Batman News Weekly Podcast, and the Ranger Alliance Podcast. Yep, yeah, check out that in the uh, links in that the tree will be in the show notes as well. So you can hit that. But thanks, Clay, for joining me. And we'll head up to Buffalo, as we always do now. See what Brandon's up to. He's riding high on his Buffalo Bills. So who knows what's going to be going on with that guy. Uh, but we'll be <laughs> back in just a moment. Gonna line. It was Sunday night. Wrote up my notes. 
to get the feeling right. Brendan that messaged me, he's drinking at his friends, but that was that code of the three. And that's about the time the jerk passed out on me. He lives in Buffalo, I couldn't I see. I guess it's just me on the weekend show. Way up there in Buffalo, it's just another Sunday night. Brandon's drunk again, Brandon's drunk again. Ah, yes, here we are with Drunkard Brandon. And me and Brandon have one book to go through on this podcast this week. And um, it's a king and black tie and a lot of king and black tie <laughs> going around nowadays. Yeah. And uh, not all of them are really meaningful. No. I- I'll tell you. Um, one of the things, <laughs> though, is if you're reading all of the tie ins so far and, you know, God forbid, if you if you are, especially if you're paying for them, uh, the idea that most of these king and black tie ins. I barely have any sort of symbiotes in them. I mean, we even got the idea, we got Venom, and really there wasn't a lot going on in that except Eddie, who's not a symbiote, you know, falling from a, from a top of a building. And so with these, I'm not very impressed. And when I see King and Black on the cover, it has gone from, okay, you know, at least this will be good and it'll tie into something too. I don't even know why they're putting these on the cover, but we're going to be talking Symbiote Spider-Man, which in a weird way is one of the better ones. We were saying it right before we started recording here, even though it's not even taking place in the current times, you know, and, and we got that as well with the Namor deal. That's not taking place mainly in the current timeline deal. And that had nothing to do, at least in the symbiote Spider-Man, we have something going on. In drop. The, yeah. And the tie in in this, and we even see, you know, no one's the tie in is the idea that the sword, you know, you end up having uh, the big sword that is going to go from the Black Knight. It's it's kind of one of those, okay, well, it's not going to matter that much because whatever happened, happened. But I don't mind it. I, I like the art in here. I actually don't mind the story going through. And what I'll, I'll give Greg Glenn and, uh, and Peter David uh, credit. I, I love the art. Actually, and I like the idea that I like the art, even though a lot of people always just throw shade. I'll always mention it. Greg Land gets a lot of crap uh, because of the models that he uses for some of the stuff. But I I like that Peter David, he's playing a story that obviously has already happened. So we go for it. But he's, he's putting a little bits and pieces in there that I don't mind. But he's actually not relying so much on hey, uh, let me catch everybody up, uh, you know, of what's going on. We just kind of have a story going, and I don't mind it. Even with Black Knight in this, he's not going to go over explanation of Black Knight. He's just there. We're going to go with the deal. But really, the story is that the symbiote came. Ned Leeds was in trouble. You end up having Peter trying to stop him. But it is symbiote Spider-Man number, and I'm looking number two. That would make sense. For some reason, I was thinking it was more continuing. Uh, Written by Peter David, uh, pencils by Greg Land, inks by Jay Lyston, colors by Frank Diamarta, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. After Alistair Smith was consumed by a mysterious black specter calling himself Mr. E, the resulting abomination transformed all of the humans in the Ravencroft Institute, including Peter Parker's co-worker Ned Leeds, into shadow creatures. Meanwhile, Watu, the Watcher, was captured and probed by the time-traveling Avenger villain Kang the Conqueror. He's probing things. However, Kang's machines couldn't handle the overload 
of Watu's power, which caused Kang's ship to explode and left him adrift in space until Rocket Raccoon scooped him up. Back on Earth, Spider-Man was facing down Mr. E when the Black Knight arrived to aid Spider-Man in his fight against the shadow creatures. So we have a bunch of things going on. One of the things that kind of upset me is we didn't get more of Kang and Rock. Yeah, I know. They just I kind of showed up they were the in it till the end. Yeah, they, them showing up and like, hey, you know, what's going on? And I'm like, eh, I would have liked a little more of them because that's kind of the intriguing thing. And we said at the end of last issue that it, it kind of made it like, okay, maybe this will be the book to have some fun because you end up almost like a weird symbiote included Guardians of the Galaxy type deal. It felt like that you even said yeah. when you have Rocket there, it will end up feeling like that. But Black Knight, Kang, uh, you know, Spider-Man and Rocket, that's pretty crazy. Um, but what we get here is kind of a weird deal where you start off at Ravencraft Institute where you did have Black Knight kind of save Peter. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, they're talking about Merlin. He just arrives, <laughs> which made me laugh I when know. he popped in. And uh, they're like, oh, my God, what's going on? And the idea that it, it it's a dupe, it's going to be a dupe here. It it felt weird. It, it felt weird it's because of everything played. that's involved. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, okay, because this is a symbiote well, I think thing. It's that's also tricking strange them. that you're you're assuming, or you're not assuming, but like you're throwing Merlin out there, and then you're like, ah, oh, Merlin's a dupe. I don't think enough per people really know enough about Merlin to even ever spot the dupe version of him well or... that's that's the weird thing and I, I would think that black knight might know a little more maybe i it just felt weird i mean i don't think peter's gonna be like uh you know I, I don't know but even then the spidey sense doesn't go off and things like that as he shows up and get i like the play the first issue where when spidey said ah when i go to ravencroft institute the spidey sense goes a little wacko because there is so many villains there you don't know if it's just because they're there or they're doing but yeah you end up where it's the deal where Merlin shows up and says, hey, you know, I came to you in a dream. That's why. And and even that it's like, OK, hey, uh, you know, why did you get here, Black Knight? What what made you show up here when I needed you at right at the right moment? And I don't know if it's supposed to be like Peter David's trying to make you think the Black Knight's the dupe. But everything goes too quick. Like you're not really set on. And like you said, I don't know that that many people would be able to spot the Black Knight dupe either. So it's like, hey, how'd you get here so quick? Oh, I had a dream. Merlin came to me in a dream. And t- right right there, it's like a, a sentence that doesn't make much. Like, you know what I mean? Peter would be like, really? Like, we're going to go with this now? And he's like, yeah, whatever. Uh, Merlin, huh? You mean the magician? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, well, did he just appear? Boom, he's there. And you're like, okay, well, what's going on? He says, you know, you guys, there's trouble. Hey there, Spider-Man, you got to get over to the Daily Planet because your buddy Ned Leeds, who's being consumed by, you know, the symbiote deal and is the shadow creature, go over because he's going to kill Jay Jonah. In the meantime, Black Knight, me and you are going to go back to Avengers Mansion. And that's what they do. And and I, I know I get the idea of trying to separate spider-man from black knight because of what you're gonna do like the the whole dupe would be okay i gotta get the symbiote spider-man out of why send them to stop pretty much one of your brethren that's going just to do its thing i mean you could say why wouldn't it be like hey spider-man i heard there's a lot of symbiotes going crazy over there in central park and he gets there oh man there's nothing here it's just a weird deal to get like the tropes of the daily bugle 
I think I said Daily Planet. But yeah, you got to make Daily Jonah Bugle just kind of go through the motions here and do his typical Jonah act. And you have to do the whole Jonah with, you know, he's mean, he's doing that. He fires Neil deGrasse Tyson in kind of a funny little deal. But, I, you know, I don't love it when they have real people yeah, mentioned in comics. So it's just like, okay, whatever. But it, it then just turns into the tropey, you know, oh, no, is that Ned Leeds? Because even uh, Betty season's like, oh, my God, it's, you know, Ned, Jonah. I don't care what this is. I know Spider-Man's the one who's caused it. And then Spider-Man comes to save him. And I knew it was Spider-Man. You're going to pay for the skylight. Like, it's a lot of wasted time. Yeah, it is. It really is with what we're doing here. And then it starts, the pace of this book starts picking up very, very quickly. Because that last issue, I think I was checking page counts. This one was almost over before I knew it. Um, Just because it's, it's very heavy on the dialogue in the beginning. And then it tapers off throughout almost the end of the issue to, to almost nothing. And then you get Merlin and Black Knight. I'll also tell you, that I think there's a bunch of misspellings in this issue. It had a lot of weird things. Like even at the point, we're going to head back to the manch, it said, not the manch and the manch. And so when you get to it, I just keep thinking, I understand in the comic, you want to have Null there. So here's Merlin. He's like, oh, this thing's coming. It's called Null. But when, when you find the dupe, you're like, why, why, why would you bother to say this stuff? Why <laughs> yeah. would you Spell tell the them exactly yeah. what? Yeah. Why are you doing this? Are you so confident in it? It's I can every go die with that. Hard but, movie ever. Yeah, really. And it's just like, here's Null. He's coming. He's going. And this is where you have Black Knight figure things out. And he figures it out because Merlin just keeps calling him Black Knight. And he says, what's my name? You know, why do you keep calling me Black Knight? He's like, oh, you know, uh, because and then he just reveals he's a symbiote. He's a whole shadow monster here. And as Black Knight tries to stab him, he just grabs a sword. And the switcheroo with the sword is so quick that it it kind of gets a little confusing with, with what really is going on. Like he just goes to grab it, grabs it, boom, he has it. And he's like, ha ha, I got it. Everything is true. You know, everything I said. And that's what the weird part is. Like I said. Everything he did say was pretty true. Why? And then he ends up saying, I don't know why you're spelling any of that out. Only all just to stab him. You didn't look like you were, you were killing him and and thinking he was going to die. So I don't know why you're giving him all this information. I mean, he's giving it to (laughs) us, but even so it's so odd. So he stabs black Knight, And then you just go back to the daily bugle where you do have Ned running away. Cause Spider-Man had attacked, saved Jay Jonah. Of course, Jay Jonah, I'll get you Spider-Man, you know, and then they go. And even this isn't much of anything because what Spider-Man does is not take down the villain actually just gets the villain to leave Ned behind, but in a way that it's just leaving Ned behind so that Spider-Man won't chase him. It's not even that much of a badass deal because he's going to put him through the printing press where he says, if I ended up not leaving, Ned would be fine, but I'm going to leave. And now he's not. So you have to say, I I don't know why, but any movie where I ever saw a printing press, I was always, I was always frightened. Somebody was going to get rolled through that thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't like those things. I'm telling you, you have guys like walking around, especially in, in any, thing that they have like that it's always a movie where people are going around with suits and ties and i'm like that tie is going right in there it's going right in there and it's it's the worst it reminds me of uh a Simpsons episode when Chief Wiggum actually gets his tie stuck in the roller of the hot dog machine. Oh, yeah. He's like, this is going to get worse before it gets better. And that's what it reminds me of. Even though at one point there was a story that I heard once where a guy was working where there was a conveyor belt like that. And he ended up at lunchtime doing things very personal. 
like I don't know what it could but on that conveyor belt and then it got stuck and he had some problems he had some real problems where he stapled himself together oh, <laughs> not even gonna go in there it freaks me out but yeah so yeah have this just Staple what we're saying myself is to myself <laughs> yeah say just keep in mind stay away from printing presses this yeah. is why oh, yeah, they say terribly frightening that's why newspaper is dying that's what I'm saying. They say print is dead. They really mean it's a killer. It's just get. It's like candy, man. You say printing press five times, you get stuck in it. Well, you end up then where Ned saved, and it really doesn't come to much except that it was the delay they needed, and you have a bleeding out Black Knight back at the Avengers Mansion where Kang and Rocket show up, and I, I do like. Kang himself because he doesn't really show a ton of expression. I like when he's just there, and, and the worst things no, they, are happening. They don't he's have just emotions there. in the future. Apparently, and he, he just he faced. just has his hands behind his back, like looking at a bleeding out Black Knight. Rocket's just like, oh my god, what's going to go on? But yeah, they're ending up going. You know, let's get the hell out of here. Rocket doesn't want any parts of this. Obviously, in my mind, you're going to have Spider Man show up. He's get you're going to have the big trope of what did you do to him? And then they might fight a little and then become a team. But I, I want this book to cut. Kind of, it's weird because I, I don't really know how much we can get from this. You're going to end up having a let's get the sword back. I mean, what else yeah. really are we going to yeah, do now? It. And we get have a bunch of issues. Today, yeah. I, I kind of want to get this team together because I think it might be some fun. Yeah, I think the book will pick up when these characters get together and kind of join their purpose. Yeah, I'm afraid that's going to happen in issue four. I think that issue three next is going to be a lot of like, what did you do to him? Let's fight. Let's fight. Let's. And then at the end, we got to go find this deal. But it's going to have to be Kang saying – you know, I see the, you know, I see what happens. We need to get the sword because I don't know how a symbiote Spider-Man here and Peter can convince Rocket that he needs to help him do anything, you know, because he's just going to want to go. So I think that that's really the only reason you have Kang in I, this I also, anyway. I don't to- know if you're going to see like Null, quote unquote, get stabbed with that sword in this book either, because it, I think if you do that, then it's now the third time he's come back to earth and they just keep handling him and it, and it ruins the, and this is the thing. This seems to be more of a, he's going to be coming later. I mean, he even says, you know, he's going to be coming later. This has been foretold all that, uh, which ends up just pointing out the idea that, you know, nothing really is going to happen in this book, in the present of this book, because it's going to be in the future. The idea I have foreseen it, his liberation is inevitable. You know, he's not here. Here. He's going to end up, you know, it's basically like, yeah, when this big uh, King and Black event comes, it's going to be real, you know, a bunch of a lot of crap here. Remember and we're gonna have to this for dealing with it 20 years from now, Spider-Man. Wink, wink. We'll see if you, you're going to remember crap. No, doesn't look like he's remembered yet. The funny thing is, too, is and, and here's the play. Legitimately, I think how they'll play this out. It's not exactly that the sword can do a lot of damage to no, but you need to get it from because he can do a lot of damage with it. it. So then that ends up pretty much resetting and not really making it matter much. And that's the biggest problem with these tie-ins. And we can go down the list. Atlantis attacks, you get a page. You end up having that union nonsense repurposed from Empire. You end up getting Namor. We didn't even see a symbiote really in that. Uh, I mean, all these things. At least you're getting something with a connection. I don't even care if it's in the past. I'm getting something. And I like the art. And I actually don't mind the little bits of story around with Ned and stuff like that to read it. And it was a quick read. So I'm not 
down on this book and I'm not down on it uh, being a king in black tie and just because, you know, it's not horrible. Some of these are nothing to do with anything king in black. So uh, with that, I think I'm going to give it a seven, eight. Uh, what would you give it? Yeah, I'm going to give this a seven. Um, there's enough in it I like. I do, you know, I'll, I'll be put myself out there. I enjoy Greg Land's art, you know, cancel me yeah, for that one. I did too. Will, but, yeah, uh, really. <laughs> You've been canceled for a lot of other things. I mean, really. Bottom of the list of the, the reasons people who are left really uh, must be the non-cancellators <laughs> because they would have canceled you a yeah, long, long time ago. But, but I mean, this story is interesting enough with the characters provided that, you know, I, I, this is probably one of the more enjoyable tie-ins I've read, even though I still don't find it necessary at all. Did he look at a porno to get his Black Knight? I don't know, but it looks pretty cool, <laughs> and I like the symbiote right? suit, so I guess I'm going to be uh, canceled no, as no, well. Now i got different ideas of where this sword is been. And I'm telling you, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm going to go 7-8, and I do like the art throughout and the colors and all that, so I'm going to go with that, but that's it, Brendan. That's it with me and you, uh, and I'm going to go off. I'm going to finish up with a couple things. Uh, But we'll get to that in a second. Midnight, trying to figure out what I'm reading. You win, don't quite grasp what he's meaning. Green door, what's that secret he's keeping? Yes, and this is the Immortal Hulk section of the podcast as we end things up. And um, I'm telling you, I go hot and cold with the Immortal Hulk. And it's not that I ever think that it's bad except that issue 25, which I'm telling you, nobody can convince me that that just wasn't a mind F to really ruin a month of mine where I don't even remember. I think that that issue made me a sleeper agent somehow. I'm not going to be convinced otherwise. And And so with that, I am back and forth. And when I go cold, though, it's not because it's bad. It's usually because some things get extended a little too much in a, in a long form story that we're into 40 issues of one long story. But also sometimes I get left behind a bit and it's more for, you know, longtime Hulk fans, Hulk fans that are more in tune with all the different personas because we're going with that. But even those issues end up giving me enough. That when we do go forward, when it does hit for everybody, including me, it really hits. And why this issue, this Immortal Hulk number 41, hits with me, which I may say this is my favorite issue of the entire run of Immortal Hulk. And, then, you know, big praise there. I'm sure some people might be rolling their eyes. But it's because of the things that always hit with me come full circle in this book in a way that you actually think of them before they are even said on the page. And what I'm talking about is the idea of the Hulk persona of him being a little kid who was abused by his father that just wants somebody to love him. All those things all rolled up into one to then twist the classic, which we've seen a million times, Thing versus Hulk fight. You ended up having, you know, the whole Joe Fix-It Hulk 
go down to Earth, ends up jumping out, gets away from Gamma Flight, and then crash lands onto the pier in New York City. You end up having Thing there to stop it. You end up having the Fantastic Four pretty much send Thing out like, we, we got to get Thing. This is going to be a, a fist fight. This is going to be a battle. Do your clobbering time stuff. Now, we start off, and actually, I should start with the credits. The credits are always at the end of the page in this book, and it drives me nuts. And it is Immortal Hulk number 41, written by Al Ewing, pencils by uh, Joe Bennett, Rui Jose, and Balladino Bravo on art or inks. Having problems. Covers by Paul Mounts and letters by VCs Corey Pettit or Petit, I was told it was. And yeah, you start out with uh, McGowan, Dr. McGowan. Starting out going to a safe house that she had. Shirley McGowan goes to the safe house. She's like, boom, boom, boom. It's kind of a, a rundown deal. It's not really a shadow. It's just my own thing. She goes in. So she's kind of uh, by herself, but able to track things and go. But this issue is mainly about Thing versus Hulk. But if you sit there and say, we've seen this so many times. I mean, they fight so much. They fought in the Fantastic Four book. Ben even brings it up during his honeymoon. It's it's not like that because this is not the strong. This is a puny Hulk who, with Joe Fixit, who just ended up, you know, going through reentry into Earth and is just not able to stand there toe to toe with Thing. But Thing is there, and and why I think this is a very cool and special issue is we are there knowing what this Hulk. Is We have seen the abuse. We have seen that this Hulk is the one that ended up even allowing the leader to take over because I just didn't like people yelling, didn't like the fighting, didn't like any of that. That caused a huge problem with the Hulks in this book. And now we're seeing that very little kid, abused little kid, crying little kid now just being beat the crap out of by the thing and you're just just sitting there saying ben stop i mean this this is not what you think you gotta stop you you are and in that what al ewing does to twist it around now eventually you do end up having the you know hulk goes away and it's joe fix it who yells stop it's a little kid you know you don't know but before that what really hits me and really got me was as thing is just beating the crap out of hulk uh, and, and pretty much enjoying it is saying that, Hulk, you're a bully. You're a bully who ended up dishing it out, and now you can't take it. But we know that this persona, this Hulk, is mainly based on the idea that he has been abused. He is not the bully. He's the victim. And just seeing thing go to town, it, it's it's heartbreaking. It really is to the point where... You just want to just yell and reach in and just get between them and stop thing from beating up Hulk, poor Hulk. And so when it, it comes down to it, after Ben just keeps going and going and, and is actually almost reveling in the fact that he could just beat the crap out of this puny Hulk and the idea that, you know, Spider-Man hits harder than them. Spider-Man could hit pretty hard, but not Hulk. And, and not realizing because of all that time, all the times they fought, all the things going on doesn't realize something's wrong and doesn't stop until right before he's about to, you know, finishing blow. You know, he ends up where Hulk turns to Joe fix it, which you end up having thing real uh, Bruce Banner. And then that yeah, kind of, and he punches him, almost kills him. And so this is the deal where you had the thing not knowing it, but was such a bully here and so awful, but he wouldn't know. 
But then when he's doing this and he's talking to Joe Fixit about things and how this can be and, and ends up where you end up having Joe yelling, you know, he is a little kid. Stop. You're beating up on a kid. And you see Hulk just eyes go wide like, oh, my God, what have I done? And then says, hey, you want to go get a hot dog? And again, it's like, what are we doing here? But he goes and it's really good. And I'll tell you right now. First off, the hot dog looks like nonsense. Too much green stuff on there. I, I'm telling you, if that's relish, there, there's way too much relish. And, and please, you end up having people against ketchup on hot dogs. That's fine. If you're against it, don't give me the crap that you'd rather have diced tomatoes. What are we in, Chicago? Holy moly, what is that? One of them poppy seed rolls? What are you getting fancy? I don't eat hot dogs with my pinky up. I eat hot dogs just eating them. And really, anything goes. Hot dogs are not exactly the top of the food chain of cuisine. I end up on every podcast, this always comes up, and I get more and more mad. The idea that people are pretentious about a food that most people think is made with shoe leather, uh, scrapings, and maybe rat turds. Please, you don't have to worry about what's on it. You put it on it because usually they stink. That's just my deal. And my son does not, my son Wraith will not eat cheese dogs. So there, take that, jerks. But yeah, they're eating a hot dog and Joe Fixit's enjoying it. This thing, I'm telling you, this thing is like seven feet long. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Uh, but they're talking about things. And usually two things that upset me in books, hot dogs, right? But also not upset me, but something that usually ends making me, I, I have attention deficit disorder. It's very obvious. Hence, yelling about hot dogs. But I also end up kind of losing interest or uh, fading away when religion comes in hard and heavy in a book. Uh, I'm not exactly a religious guy, though I kind of, you know, read up on things and stuff like that. But it just is one of my things that I'm not real interested in. But the way that Al Ewing does it here through Ben, through Ben Grimm, the thing actually made me almost enthralled by it the idea of the what what it meant to him when he ended up dying because this whole thing wraps around with the hulks where ben doesn't understand like they nobody does the idea that there's that many hulks it's the trope that al ewing's playing with really well in this book it's pretty much the driving force of everything in the story and it is done real well and so when you end up having to explain it to somebody uh, the thing, it, it's going to be problems. It's going to be the idea, well, you know, there's a bunch of us. We kind of worked as a team. Uh, that kind of got, to, you know, pulled apart by the leader and all that. And even there, Ben, who's a good guy, well, we'll we'll deal with this. Fantastic Four could stretch. He'll be able to take the lead. I mean, really? The leader? He, he ain't smart as, as, you know, old Reed. And No, no, no. This is something different. And in fact, have, you died, right? Where'd you go? Up above or down below? You go to heaven or hell? And Ben's like, well, I went to heaven. He's like, yeah, you can't help me, man. You're out. That That's the thing. And it's a really cool deal. And then they start talking about the whole deal of Job and heaven and how Job ended up being really pretty much bullied by a Satan and God just stood there and all this stuff going with the idea that Ben always thought that good people always end up coming on top and bad people are bad because of their actions and nothing else and all that. And it's really well into this concept of the Hulk and his personas and, and this mental illness that he deals with and all that. I thought it was really, really well done. And just where Ben also throughout all this, you're seeing him realize 
exactly what's going on and exactly the stuff that Bruce Banner slash Hulks and all are dealing with a bit he's never going to understand it it's one of those things that i think al ewing does a good job here as well this isn't going to be ben walking away and knowing everything about what it is you'd never be able to know the only reason we know is because we're privy to it to see it but this is a personal thing this is a bruce banner hulk thing and only he's going to be able to really you know end it and, and stop all this stuff but ben being the good guy he is, even says at the end, you know, grab a shirt first off, you know, your bare chest to deal with your handlebar mustache. You look terrible there. Joe fix it. He definitely has like hepatitis, right? And and then says, you got my number. Call me if you need me. You know, I will end up just helping you. And I like the idea. It's kind of a fun deal that I don't even think was supposed to be. But Ben giving a shirt to Joe fix it really seems to symbolize that Ben would give a shirt off his back to anybody that's how good he is to help and then you know i think that you you have the deal and one of the big things at the end is where it's joe fix it he's sitting there again he looks like he's gonna go off with born to be wild playing as he goes off on his hog back to vegas but then keeps calling him hulk he keeps recognizing him as the one thing and that seems it's a weird deal i didn't know you know quite how it but it seems like you know joe fix it there like he seems to like that like you're actually treating me as one you're actually able to see you know what i'm all about and i think it has been through this discussion here with them also the idea too that i really like hulk and thing fight a lot because they're behemoths you know that that's what you're going to do because of the power sets and they're not going to kill each other so they will and have battled a lot but you get in this at least on the things side the respect that he has and even how much he likes Bruce, but knows that he has to end up fighting the Hulk a lot. But I think it's also the respect of that and the idea that, yeah, we're going to fight and they're going to fight again. I mean, we're not going to say right now that in any sort of comic books till the end of time, these two aren't going to go toe to toe and beat the crap out of each other. They will. But you see here that it's above. It's almost like me and my son, Logan, the other day. Uh, he's a big basketball fan, and I was talking to him about why I always was drawn to hockey, mainly because I love to trash talk, but I also like the idea of anything, especially a sport, where if you trash talk, you could get punched in the face. So while you're trash talking, that's where you get the real trash talkers. You know, you could trash talk in baseball. What the hell's going to happen? You know, you trash talk in, in football slash soccer. Somebody's diving. You get Ronaldo. He, he'll look like he's diving into a pool a la Greg Luganis, right? But if you're in hockey and you end up saying to somebody, and there's a, you end up saying to somebody like, hey, you jerk, you know, they in the next shift or even that shift can can punch you they can slide they can come at you that's part of the game and i love it because it ups the ante but i was showing him uh fights i was showing him hockey fights this does make sense in this showing him hockey fights where you do have a lot of times if you don't know the inner workings of things or haven't played hockey and haven't gotten in a fight in hockey a lot of this and almost like it's set up for a lot of times. You go to a face-off, you go to the other guy, because you got to make sure they're going to drop the gloves with you. Now, if they're real jerks, they won't, and then you get, you know, it's, but you end up like, hey, are we going to go now? All right, yeah, we'll go, and then you do it. But a lot of times, if you look, and a lot of people who do watch these videos or whatever, or even watch hockey that don't know as much, a lot of times when the fight is done, the guys actually say, hey, good fight. They give each other like a, a quick pat on the chest as they get up because that's their deal. That's their job. That's what they do. 
they don't necessarily now you'll have fights where all of a sudden the star like Sidney Crosby gets hit and you're going to go after that guy and fight. That's not what I'm talking. I'm talking about the, you know, pretty much the goons in uh, these guys know what they have to do. They know, but they also respect each other for the most part. And some guys don't, but you have that respect because we're doing what we do. We're doing what, and I think that that's where the hope and the thing are. And then you're seeing in this, it's a little more. They're actually, you know, kind of friends and, and respect throughout the whole deal. And so I really, this is why, I, you know, the fill in the blanks type of things here that I really like this issue. Uh, you go back to Shadow Base Site G's sealed translocation lab. And that's where we get to see more of that monstrosity, Rick Jones. I mean, somebody better get off their butts and save this guy because he has now fused him with Del Fry. <laughs> it's even worse now. I mean, seriously, now you end up having, you know, Del Fry Gamma Monster Extreme with the vestigial twin Quato coming out of his neck. That That's freaking Rick Jones. I'm free. And they're going, I'm like, please, somebody get rid of these guys. Do something. Poor Rick Jones. I mean, I remember reading issues in the recent past. Rick Jones is just sitting there playing his guitar at the cafe. He's going to have a singing career. Now he's Quato. Free your mind, Hulk. Oh, my goodness. It's a monstrosity. I'm going to give that. It's hard for me to give this. I, I, I can't say anything's a perfect issue. Uh, but this is, this is close to the payoff that I got from how the abuse of a young Bruce Banner leads to the Hulks that then leads to showing us that that continues on even when we didn't even know it in the past, things like that. But showing, you know, that thing going through the motions that they always do, not realizing that he's beating up a child who just wants everybody to stop yelling, just wants somebody to hug him and do that. And again, what I think is really important here as well is that you do end up changing into Joe Fixit. And so even then you have the Hulk part of that, that little kid, he's not going to be able to, you know, deal with this adult type thing. So he's gone through that. So it goes to Joe Fixit, but you just through the whole thing, feel bad for Hulk and in such a way that's been set up so well. So I'm going to give this a 9.9. I'm going to go 9.9. Like I said, I think this is my favorite issue of the series so far, even though not a lot happens. It really hits me. It ends up getting me reset, even with the little deal where Joe Fixit does give a pretty decent, quick synopsis of what's been going on in the book that I think at this point where we're heading to what's supposed to be the end at 50 uh, might be well served. Even the idea of, you know, going in, this might even be in the weirdest way, one of the only jumping on points, I think. In the series, though, you still need to read it from the very beginning. But if somebody just wanted to kind of get the vibe of it, I think that this really will show, you know, the the heart and just the, the meaningfulness of this book. So 9.9 out of 10. And quickly, quickly, I'm going to continue with this Immortal Hulk section. I, I'm not going to talk much about this because as much as I like the Immortal Hulk number 41, I just sat there and shook my head at King and Black Immortal Hulk number one uh, because you end up having this where it's a tie into the whole King and Black. I've gone on record a lot saying that these tie-ins have all been bullcrap. They've all been ridiculous. Daddy, chill. Right, Daddy, chill. Let 
the boy let watch. Let the boy watch. But you end up, this is a silent issue. It's written by Al Ewing, art by Aaron Cooter, colors by Frank Martin and Eric Arcianega, letters by VCs Corey Petit. Uh, you get the whole deal. The Hulk is in bad shape, blah, blah, blah. You end up childlike savage Hulk. Yeah, you get the king in black. Basically, this should have been some sort of anthology story. Didn't need to be as long as it was. Uh, basically, the progression is Hulk is there. It's Christmas time, and the symbiotes have come to town, though it's not all the symbiotes. It looks like only a couple dragons. It doesn't look like the whole town. It's consumed, which threw me off. And the symbiotes end up trying to grab and stop Hulk while he is trying to pick up a present that some guy had you know, grab last second Christmas shopping. Hulk ends up fighting off the symbiote in a cool way. Ends up grabbing a, you know, electric pole, hits it with the pole, but then ends up electrocuting himself. Thus, also the symbiote that's trying to consume him. We know that electricity is the thing that gets it off. But then the police show up and there's Hulk. He's not the one to blame. He gets shot by the police. He runs away, goes to a big department store where he sees a bunch of presents sees a display that there's a little girl playing, which then reminds him of what we've seen in the past. Again, dealing with stuff that I just said was so great, but I didn't need that. You know, we see the abuse of both Bruce and his mom, and then he gets mad. Hulk smash all of this display ends up then being Joe Fixit to go through, fight off some symbiotes, Home Alone style, then to turn back in the Hulk to get presents. I mean, really, this is it. it you can like this. It's not bad. It's not a bad story if this was a Immortal Hulk annual. If it was a, hey, everybody, we have the King in Black. Let's have an anthology that shows what all the big heroes are doing on the sidelines and stuff during this whole King in Black deal. I don't even know if it fits great in that. But Or maybe it's the anthology of when we first met a symbiote. You know, something like that. I don't know. But this is nothing to – there is no possible way. That this is going to tie into anything, anything at all. So really, by the end of it, it gets me upset because I do know people in particular that are off buying every time because they have told me they're all going to be important. They're all going to, I mean, that union book that ended up, that'll be important. Oh, my God, that last issue of Atlas Attacks, that has to be important, right? It has to be. No, it isn't. And so it's just a, a money grab fully. You know, and I want to hit this. There you go, money grab. And it's it's kind of shameful the way that they're doing this. Uh, unless you're just there, I don't care. I just buy whatever. But I don't know. A lot of people are struggling with money, especially in the holiday season. So if you haven't bought this and are just listening to say, hey, is this important? No, it's not necessarily important or whatnot. If you want a little story that's, you know, I like Aaron Cooter's art. And, you know, you, you have in a... Silent issue, you have to have some expressions and stuff like that, and it does, and the thing's plotted out well enough. I can follow it. It's just nonsense. So I- I'm going to give this an FU5 fully. An FU5. I should be back in school. I should be, but that's the end of the podcast. Uh, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed I hope that you, you know, forgive me for being a day late. I ended up being able to actually add a couple of these things by myself because of that. Uh, so at least you got that if you like those But if you didn't, then you could just blame it all And yell at me and scream But thanks, I'm going to let you know again You can go off to our Twitter and follow us At WS Marvel Comics You follow us, we'll follow you back 100% You can go to our website WeirdScienceMarvelComics.com Where we have news, reviews, previews All that stuff each and every day And also you can go to our Patreon Patreon.com 
slash weird science where we do have a ton of shows i think so far we're like halfway through uh the month of december and i think i was counting i think there's already like 23 podcast episodes of different stuff up already uh so that just you know we try to do a lot of stuff i have a bunch of stuff i'm even doing today including uh the dc comic spotlight like the marvel one but also i'm going to be talking with mark jager about uh ambush bug a dc book that is a christmas deal that's a little shout out to our man reggie if you know who reggie is give a little shout out to him right now uh but yeah that's just some things i'm doing today not really marvel based but still just to show you i'm busy i'm a busy man but i'm gonna go off now thanks everybody thanks so much for listening and i will talk to you soon